fuck it. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be joyful in the midst of, of oppression. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today we are here with Colby Tachusis, who I had the honor of meeting, gosh, I think five years ago, because I know it was a year, almost a year after my loss when I went with a mutual friend of ours to a journey workshop up in Canada and got to meet Colby and his family and have had Really the honor and the joy and the privilege of getting to experience some of his work this year as well. The Reviving Indigenous Kinship class was phenomenal. And I'm, I feel like that's, <laughs> there's a lot of hard stuff going on with COVID, but I feel like that was one blessing I had this year was that Colby took his work online and I got to experience it. So Colby, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me and welcoming me to your podcast and project. Yeah, I would love to start with you sharing just a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, as you were sharing, like when we first met, I just had a flashback of you actually stayed at our house, like in the room that I'm in now, recording, recording, like this is where you slept. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, you were here. You were in this room, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's been a while. It's been a long while. And But my, my name's Colby. My name's Colby Tatusis. I'm from... Pomaker Cree Nation, which is in the prairies of Saskatchewan, the prairies of of Canada. And I was raised here and I play video games. I love playing video games and I have a passion in working with families and, and communities and striving for indigenous liberation, specifically in the midst of ongoing attempts of colonization and ongoing attempts of genocide and, and oppression among the lands here. Yeah. that's you know known as North America yeah and you have a lovely little family I've gotten to know Andrea a bit as well in her work and RJ and your mom as well and you guys are all doing such amazing work but I would love to start at the beginning of your story like we were talking about before like I know that your dad getting sick was something that led you into the work but who were you before then did you have any relationship to like personal growth work yeah, well, it's it's interesting how I got into this work because both my parents are, are therapists and I grew up witnessing them working with families and, and communities. So I did grow up and was immersed in personal development and doing like a lot of self-work and, and, you know, a lot of revolution not revolution well yeah revolutionary work in terms of problem solving and being proactive and, and doing what's necessary for, for health and, and and for well-being in, in all levels both mentally physically emotionally and, and and spiritually and so growing up with with my parents there was also experiences of having to work through as a family the impacts the generational impacts of 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 residential schools, of the oppression of, of our peoples and, and, you know, the attempts of colonization on our peoples. And, and that's like the, the narrative and the theme that's often not, not highlighted. And so I think the greatest thing that my parents have done for us as a family was to create the space and to encourage us to do the work that we needed to do personally so that we can continue 
the intention of ending the legacy and the impacts, you know, of, of that narrative on that ongoing narrative. Yeah. And because they knew that, well, when I do my forgiveness work, it would ha- most of it would include them. Most of my f- forgiveness work would include my mom. It would include my dad. It would include my extended family. And and that really set the tone for for me in the angle that I was going to approach and engage my own family should that ever unfold in in my life and and I am this is where I'm at like where we I do have my own family where we are a family and and there's that there's this legacy there's this disruption in the legacy of of taking necessary action for the liberation in the next generation yeah and yeah and and so that's how it came about like I, I did grow up in in the in the space and we also experienced our our challenges that any family would go through so it's been a journey to, to do that yeah. and but i'll also highlight too that as my parents being therapists they didn't pressure us or force us to, to do any work it was more like here's an option here's an opportunity and it was up to us of whether we were going to follow through with with, with the opportunity yeah. and and the the chance to to do work yeah yeah that's amazing i know i've had some friends whose parents were therapists that it was like forced down their throat so (laughs) it's nice that it wasn't Uh in your family that it was more of like it's here if you need it and so we met through skip who's also going to be on the show skip lackey who does the journey work and i know from knowing skip from hearing your story that your dad and your mom found journey work, but do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how your dad's own journey impacted yours? Yeah. So the, the journey method came into our life through the means of a crisis. And the crisis was my dad getting physically ill and he had myelodysplasia, which is the beginning stages of bone marrow cancer, meaning he had to get a bone marrow transplant if, if he wanted to continue to live an earth life. And it was a scary time. It was a scary time and a challenging time. And his brothers were going through tests to see if they were a bone marrow match. And while all that was happening, we were practicing our prayer way of life. And one of the specific prayers that was put out there into the universe and, and was something not only to help him, something not only to help him, but to help other people as well. And the prayer was for it to be revealed. What is it that we're not doing that we can be doing? What is it that we can do to meet our prayers halfway? And this is like when I'm sharing these words, this is coming from I'm, I'm reiterating what was shared from my mom and my, my dad and because I, I was I was busy I was working and I to be honest I didn't know the full extent of the seriousness of the situation at the time and my parents you know protected us as as kids from how serious this illness was and all I knew was my dad was was sick and he was he was going to the hospital and he was doing his visits and doing these appointments and 
and being told not to worry. Everything's working out. Everything's working out. He's going to be okay. And I was like, and I believe they're like, okay. And then later on hearing that this is what was here. This is the prayer that was, that was here. And, and really observing it and witnessing that unfold. And what happened was, what happened was my mom was walking through a bookstore and you know those moments where like a book falls off the bookshelf and like <laughs> yeah. comes towards you and like just there's like this magnetic attraction that takes place that's what happened to my mom and so the journey book you know came, came the journey by brandon bays came to her like fell off or was it she was drawn to it i don't know i wasn't there when it <laughs> happened but that's how it was described to me and she they were they liked it and they read the back and they're like this is interesting let's check it out and they they bought it and they read it and you know those of you who you know the listener who doesn't know about the journey method you know it's the summarize and they'll probably hear about it and you'll probably hear about it later on too but it's a story of brandon bates who who went through a healing journey where she healed herself from a tumor and overcame it and, and is well and is still alive today and and that's like the, the really brief summary of it and that's what drawn my, my parents to it is that hey there's physical healing took place here here's a story of physical healing and they read it and there was actually a, a journey workshop uh, the journey intensive workshop is what it's called taking place in boulder colorado and my mom and my dad and my little brother they they went and I remember them planning to go to the journey and them recommending me to read the book. You should check out this book, read this book. And I remember like looking at it and seeing, you know, this, you know, this, this Munyao Square. So Munyao Square is like this, this white woman on there, like a blonde white woman. And, and like growing up, like growing up in, in the, in the prairies, it's a really, it can be really, really racist. And, and so I had like this, this notion of, of my guard up and my defenses up against the white gaze, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And also witnessing and experiencing the hijacking of, of indigenous culture and, uh, and the stories of, you know, non-indigenous people using, you know, in, indigenous practices in, in, in a way where it's not intended, you know, like an example would be like ordering sage off Amazon, you know, and, and, <laughs> And so like when I read, when I looked at the journey book, I was like, this is new agey and I don't like it. Like, what is this? Are they like mimicking like a vision quest, you know? And like, right. so my, I was very critical as the point. I was very judgmental and critical and turned off by it completely. And then my dad was really drawn to it. And in that time, I didn't want to like discourage anything. And you know what? The truth is when you're going through a health crisis like that, you, you get desperate where you're open for anything, like anything, whatever can help us, whatever can help my dad. And I was in that space. And so I, I, with the judgment was there and I put it to the side and I encouraged him and I was supportive. I was like, okay, just cool. Go check it out. Let me know what it is. And, and they were encouraging me to read it, but I didn't want to read it. I still didn't, wasn't drawn to reading it at all. And then when my dad came back from his first intensive journey workshop, you know, there was, there was light in his eyes again. There was life in his eyes. And he pulled me aside and he said, Kobe, I'm going to get well. I'm going to get better. And this is what's going to help me. This is the process that's going to help me, he said. You want to check it out. You want to try it. I'll process you if you want. 
and he was so enthused and there's passion in his life. You know, this passion I was here, this, like this enthusiasm. And I was down. I was down for that. And I was like, okay, you know, because it was a scary time. And my dad went from feeling, you know, his whole persona, like he went from feeling low energy to really his high energy. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And, and he sat me down in, in my bedroom and, and he gave me my first journey method process. And it really rocked my world. It, it shook the foundation of who I thought I was because prior to that moment, I thought, that I didn't have any issues for me to look at, that everything was fine. Like I have my friends, I'm going to school, I got good grades, I'm playing basketball. Life is fine, life is great. And then I don't have to like work, look inside myself or work on myself. And here that process, it effortlessly and really elegantly with the guidance of my dad revealed the truth that was shut down that was limited and and it revealed this this unlimited humorous joy that hasn't left that's still here and the awareness was fuck this is deadly this is amazing like in so what I'm when I say deadly like for like that's like a lingo in our area because sometimes I'll say the word deadly and people are like what deadly you know like like it's a bad thing but no like for us in our area like it's, it's a it's a slang for amazing yeah. and awesome and yeah and and I really really enjoyed it and, and there was so much revealing that, that came from it and and the awareness was this is an answered prayer like people are praying praying for peace of mind people want peace of mind they want freedom they want you know liberation and and i'm feeling it this is i mean i'm here right now yeah. and and like just laughing and, and giggling and giggling with my dad and laughing with my dad like holy <laughs> fuck like why do we get so dramatic over shit you know like why 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 do i get so angry you know and it's like all this revealing of of the game that i the games that i played in my life just from that first process yeah. And I wanted more of it. I wanted more. And it was almost like, like grace, the universe, you know, this source of life left this breadcrumb. It's like, hey, here's a taste. It's like a little spoonful. Here's a taste of, <laughs> of life. I want some more? And I was like, yes, I want some more, you know? And, <laughs> and, and then there was a journey intensive workshop in Edmonton where, where Skip brought it to Edmonton. And my, my whole family went. My whole family went and we, we did our process work and, and we experienced it as, as a family. And it was uncomfortable because so much truths were being revealed during the workshop about the dynamics within our kinships. And, and we stuck it through. We sat it through and, and we went through the process work and it was amazing. And after that first journey intensive, I wanted more. It was like another spoonful. Here's another taste. <laughs> you want more? I was like, fuck yeah, I want more, you know? And, and I remember asking Skip first meeting Skip, meeting this guy. And, and I asked him about it. It's like, what do I need to do to do what you're doing? And, and he looked at me and he's like, well, there's a journey practitioner program. You got to take the journey practitioner program. I was like, there's a whole program. He's like, yeah. And he started listing off all these advanced modules of the program. I was like, well, I want to take it. He's like, well, it's only offered in Europe right now. It's like, oh man, I can't afford to go to Europe. And, but I really wanted to go. And he, and he's seen that. I think he really recognized that. 
and him and his you know him and his wife at the time really were supportive and and, and he made the option he suggested well why don't you write a letter to journey outreach in south africa because they'll they'll sponsor people to take it the thing is though they only sponsor people in south africa but it's worth a shot and and i did i i i wrote a letter and i actually had to write you know multiple letters correspondence they'd write back and they'd ask questions and and they really wanted to make make sure i i assumed that i was really you know in, interested and committed to to doing the work and and i did i they they gave a sponsorship they sponsored me and they're like you're you're sponsored all you got to do is show up get yourself to the workshop that's all you got to do register and show up i was like all right and it was in europe so i had to like manifest some kind of funds to be able to travel to Europe and, and to get there. And I didn't even have a job at the time. And yeah, and it ended up working out where I did travel, travel to Europe. I ended up getting a job actually that just, that where I was able to make the right amount of income to be able to, to show up and for the, for the flights and, and whatnot, to be able to take the practitioner yeah. program in, in Europe. And I was the first one in my family to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, mentioning my dad, talking about my dad is, is, he continued to, to apply the work and practice the work while I was in the journey practitioner program. And he continued to do journey work and, and he healed. He, his brother was a match and he went through a full bone marrow transplant and he healed so quickly. They put him in a medical journal. He was like a case study in a medical journal. And I remember the moment because while there were people in the same time frame, like in the same time frame, the same ward where they were going through bone marrow transplants as well, they were still like in, in bed and resting. And, and my dad was walking around. And I remember him asking, well, I wasn't there when he asked, but he was telling me, like, I asked the doctor if I can go to, to a powwow because my dad, like we dance, our family dances and our, our traditional dance, powwow dance. And, and, and I grew up with, with that in, I grew up practicing that. In, in our culture and as, as an extension of our culture, actually. And, and he wanted to go to a power to go and dance. And, and he asked a doctor and the doctor told him, well, if you're walking around like that, I don't see why not just yeah. it's, it's like sanitize. You know, like, you know, like we're in pandemic times and you, know, you got to sanitize yourself because <laughs> you need to support your immune system. And it was like that, like just yeah. sanitize and, you know, and, and to wear a mask was one of the things as well. And, but we ended up going. We, and I remember like going to the powwow with just me and my dad. I think my brother might've been with me at the time too, but it was just us. And witnessing him, you know, putting on his outfit and getting dressed from going from scared and uncertain if my dad was going to survive or not to watching him get dressed, putting on his regalia, putting on his feathers and, and saying, fuck, my dad's going to jam out. And I remember, you know, the emotion that I was feeling because I was still going to powwows too when I was in a prac program and my dad was going through his process and, you know, sometimes he would come watch and, but there was moments there where he, where he, you know, he couldn't come out because his immune system was compromised. And so he would encourage us, go dance, go to the powwow, go and dance, he would say. And I remember like, I remember, and this is a significant moment because I remember before he got sick, and I first, and I got back into dancing when I would watch, look out for him 
in the grand entry and and so a grand entry is when all the dancers they all dance in in in, in order and they all showcase their dance and their style and and I remember like looking out for him during that time and I would see him and I would spot him out and I would always catch him like watching us, watching me, watching my siblings. And he would like watch us while he was, while he was jamming out too. And then like the, that moment of going from participating in Grand Entry and then not seeing, not being able to see that there was like this vacancy and then going to, going to the Powell and Morley and then and so Morley is in Alberta going to the Powell in Morley Alberta and seeing him in Grand Entry and, and watching him and, and receiving the gaze of my dad you know it was really yeah it was reality like it was life happening and and I remember going back to the moment of when he showed me like the Show me the the script, like the process, and saying like this is this is what's gonna help me. This is what's gonna get me well, and you know, just added fuel to the to the awareness of like I want more life, and not even being aware at the time of how shut down I really was or how numbed out to life I really was at the time, and all this like this this revealing of the armor coming down and and. And the vulnerability and the freedom that comes with that and welcoming that and embracing that full force, which included all the emotions that life has, you know, all the emotions and the uncomfortability that life has and, yeah. and being like present, unlimitedly present, like beyond 100% present, allowed, really gave the leverage to be, to soak up moments like that. And and yeah, my dad got well. He got better, and I, I finished the, the journey practitioner program, and I was the the youngest at the time in, in that cohort. And if you call it a, go, a cohort, and I was the only indigenous person from from North America at the time that took it. And the prayer was to bring it back and to share it with people. And and this, every time I'd, I'd experience one of the advanced modules of, of, of the journey method, I would come back and I would do one-on-ones and I would tell my friends, Hey, you want to try this? You want to try this? And some people would be down, some people wouldn't. And, yeah. but I would just share it and share it and share it as much as I can of all these one-on-ones. And, and, and I, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. But that's how, that's how the journey work came, came about. Yeah, I remember you sharing your story about being the youngest and what was it like to navigate that whole new experience all by yourself on the other side of the world? Well, it was interesting. And, you know, I mentioned the narrative of the continuing attempts of colonization and all that comes from that you know the continued it's like it's literally violence it's literally the continuation of violence on on indigenous peoples here in, in our area and growing up i remember witnessing the results of that but not knowing it's the results of that so an example would be experiencing relatives from my community end their life because of trauma you know and even not being able to connect the dots that it's because of trauma you know at, at a, around 12 
12, you know, 12, 13, around that range, age range, maybe even younger, actually, to be honest, you know, and, and experiencing the results of, of addictions and the, the results of, of, of disconnect within families and, and in community. And, and it all came down to trauma. And I remember feeling this urge to do something about it, but not knowing what to do or what I can do. And the, I remember learning about psychology and I, my dream was to be a psychologist and that I would be this doctor and this a psychologist and I would have my, my own wellness center and I'd be like walking down the hallway in my wellness, in my wellness center, you know, like how Denzel Washington <laughs> walks and like Denzel Washington strut, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm a doctor, you know, I'm helping to people like that, that was, that was my, my prayer and intention. And, <laughs> And, uh, and I did like, I, I, well, I didn't become a psychologist, but I did go to school and, but like full disclosure, like I wasn't really cut out for school. Like I, I wasn't cut out. The, the cookie cutter wasn't cutting me the way it wanted to cut me is, is the experience. If, if I can articulate it that way. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that journey I was able to, I was learning words to describe like English words to describe the experiences that we're going through as indigenous peoples. And so our colonizer comes from Europe. We experience colonization from Europe. So our colonizer is, is like the British, British empire essentially. And it was interesting that experiencing this freedom and this joy and this liberation, I had to go to the colonizer's territory to learn more about it. And it was, it's the dynamic that revealed a rage, this deeper rage. And it was a process and experience that allowed me to meet that rage that here I am fucking sitting among the colonizers, learning freedom and liberation. And all these fucking assholes have no idea because they never learned the history and yet they're benefiting it from, from it today. And, and it's almost like, feeling alone and isolated and the story and having to work through and process the story of the continued circumstance of colonialism, you know, was, was a trip in itself, was a journey in itself. And it led to, it led to an internal conflict of how do I reach a point of joy and happiness in the midst of oppression how can the oppressed open into happiness in the midst of continued oppression and that and having to meet that that conflict in that situation really revealed the reality in the inset it was almost like a like a borderline i don't know how else to explain it from the west the best way i can articulate it is that there's this fine line between insanity and enlightenment and also completely deconstructing and letting letting go whatever those mean at the same time and and allowing this this leverage for choice that fuck it i'm going to be happy and i'm going to be joyful in the midst of of oppression and so the experience, you know, of going over there and learning this 
was sitting in a room with 500 or so benefactors of, of colonialism and having to process the, the results of that colonialism in the midst of them was something yeah. that, that, you know, was unique in, in itself, I guess, and bringing it home and, and continuing to work you know, yeah, within myself, within think- my family allowed you to be so open. I had a similar, different, of course, but similar experience when I did my first process with Skip because my PTSD was so bad that my brain was, I couldn't, I couldn't function anymore. I couldn't live my life. I couldn't work. And so I asked Skip if he would help me and he gave me my first process. And for me, it was, it was incredible. Like I dropped right into source, which for me is always love. And, you know, he, he pushed me cause he's so great at it to process out things I didn't want to process and got a majority of my brain back almost overnight. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing, but I'm also more emotions based personality wise. And what do you think allowed you, I guess is my question to be so open to that experience. Cause I feel like it's very easy for people to get overwhelmed by, the depth of those processes and then kind of block it out. Yeah. Well, it. I love that skip process to you and, and he's, he's so good at giving processes because he does hold you to the fire. He holds yeah. you to your goal <laughs> and to your intention. Like why do a process if you're only, if you're not going to go full out yeah. and I've had some amazing processes from him too. the, the, the privilege of processing from with him. So what was your question again? Um, what do you think, whether it was experiential or personality or something else, allowed you to be open to the depth of it? Whereas a lot of people, it's it's a fight. I don't know. Like, I honestly don't have a clear answer to that. And I, I really feel that it's people's journey. And I, I experience the modality of the journey method to be like, like medicine and you have to work for it. You have to find it. And the most strongest, you know, it's like the most impactful and the most significant work or modality out there. It's, it's hard to find the one that's going to have the greatest impact. It can be challenging to to find, or it'll be overlooked or devalued or like, it'll just be like, People won't be able to find it. It'll be in front of their eyes, in front of their face, and they won't be able to see it. And experience the journey method to be like that. And it's people's journey. You know, it's it, and I find that with 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 the journey method that it it doesn't take you away from what you're already practicing in your life. And it doesn't come off as this is the answer. This is an answer. This is meant to supplement, you know, what people are already practicing in your life, whatever modality it's not. And I find that there's modalities out there that attempt to proclaim themselves uh, or itself as the answer, nothing else but this one. And mind you, there are probably like people who have experienced the journey who feel that way about the journey method, but I've always found it to be like a universal supplement to, to life practice. And I can say that what allowed the openness to be here is it would be like a choiceless choice. Like it's, it's, it's either be open or 
or numb out. And there's probably some leverage to the experience of my parents creating this space for that. One of the things my parents did was to make the conscious intention to end a legacy, to end the legacy and the impacts of, of residential school. And through their work and how they raised us the best they can. And, and I'm lucky. I'm lucky because there are indigenous families who don't have that opportunity or don't have that, that awareness. They're, where I grew up with, with relatives and with cousins and friends who didn't have parents like my parents. And so I am lucky. And, and there, there was like this sense of, of privilege in, in regards to that as a result of the choices that my parents made when they decided to walk through through life together and start a family. And I feel that that gave that, that probably gave a lot of leverage to be, to be open. And, and I also want to give credit to our cultural practice that, that we do and, and our prayer way of life. I'm sure that that also has, has leverage because, because life on the reserve is, is real and, and it's raw and the emotions are, are there. The emotional energy is prevalent. And even me, like even the experience of sharing work with community and working with communities, I find that, yeah, I would say a lot of it ha is going to be a lot of the openness stems from our, cult from our cultural practice as, as Indigenous mm -hmm. peoples. Because there's only five generations today that have experienced the emotional shutdown and the dehumanization as a result of, of colonialism yeah. and, and that the access to our openness and our spiritual way of life and our, our, our culture is, is still prevalent today. It, it, it survived. It, it, it didn't go anywhere. It's still here. Like indigenous people are still here. Like we, we're still living how we live from a place of, of survivance and, and the practicality of, of survivance. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I want to give credit that my openness is a result of the rebellious children who have experienced abuse and dehumanization in, re in residential school. And they're, they're willing to fight and resist and still speak their language and still remember what their grandparents taught them, you know, and, and that being passed on to my parents and my parents deciding that our kids are going to remember this too. They're going to learn this too. They're going to put this into practice too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was it? What was the process of coming back from Europe, the PRAC program? I know you said you started giving processes to anyone and everyone, but how did you really step into the work that you're doing now? Remember when I said, like I said, I wanted to do what Skip does, which meant like sharing the work to its fullest capacity, sharing the work with groups, like, and work with people at, at, the, at the deepest level, deepest level possible. And that, that, that was the prayer and that continues to be the prayer. And as I ex continued to experience the journey, and you know, meeting Brandon Bays and learning from Brandon Bays, you know, and, and her staff and, and the work. And I didn't feel drawn to the journey, like to teach the journey. And but I loved the process work and I was sharing one-on-ones as much as I could. And but and I wanted to do what Skip does, but Skip taught the journey at the time. 
but I didn't feel called to teach the journey. I didn't feel drawn to do that. And so there was like a moment of, well, I guess I'll just do one-on-ones and I'll just like shotgun one-on-ones everywhere. You know, whoever wants to do one-on-ones, I'll reach out. And I started to do outreach work in that way. And then Brandon Bayes' husband, Kevin Billet, and I, I met him and he was like in, in the background and at, behind the desk at the sound desk at the seminars and stuff. And, and I liked him. He was really encouraging and he really, really encouraged me in, in, in the work. And he made an announcement that he was doing a program called the Visionary Leadership Program. And he was doing it on Australia. And when he announced it, I was like, fuck yeah, that's the one. That's what I like. Um, and I just felt this immediate like internal pull. Like, I want, I guess I have to save my money again and <laughs> manifest somehow to get Australia. And, and there was like this focus to do that. And I was already like making a plan and, you know, scheming and how to do that. And then um, he did it in Australia. He did the first one in Australia and he announced a second one. And I emailed him. I was like, I'm going to come to the second one. I'm, I'm saving my money. And then uh, he canceled it. He canceled the second one in Australia. And I was like, oh man, like maybe it's not picking up. Maybe he's not going to do it. And it was like a few months of silence. And then there was an announcement. We're bringing it to North America. I was like, what? <laughs> and I got so pumped and excited. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going. I'm going to take it no matter what. And, and I was working at the time. I was working as the youth suicide prevention coordinator for a service-based organization in the Southern Prairies in Southern Saskatchewan area. And I was, I, I was living independently and just working to pay off my vehicle and paying rent and, and all the bills and stuff, right? Living alone and stuff, living survival yeah. and doing the work. And, and I saved my money to, 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 I saved my money to take the leadership advanced programs in, in the States. And it meant, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at times. And, and I took it. I went and I experienced uh, experienced that work, and it was like a small core cohort of us. And it was we were like we were like experimenting with the work. We were like using the journey method work and making it applicable in the area of of leadership. Yeah. And the experiment was was amazing. Like we were all experiencing amazing results and 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 awarenesses and and putting it into practice. And and I loved it. And when I came back, the same thing. I was like, started doing one-on-ones and, and mentioning it to people and sharing it with people. And then a few months later, or maybe a year or so later, Skip, you know, talked to Kevin and, and they agreed and they came together in, in agreement and Skip pulled me aside. And what, what, there was the Visionary Leadership Intensive workshop that was offered in Colorado. And a few of us went, I, whoever wanted to come, I was like, I'm going there. I'm going to experience this because I experienced the whole advanced ones. And this is the prerequisite to the advanced ones. So like I experienced it backwards. A lot of us experienced yeah. it backwards. We went to all advanced ones. We went to all the advanced ones. And then there's like a prerequisite to the advanced ones. So this was like the whole program was new and it was picking up. And I wanted to like, hey, I experienced this work. Let's go. And then you'll experience what the work is about. And so there's about four of us that went. And it was great. It was awesome. And they liked it. They enjoyed it. And on the last day, I think it was the last day or the second day. Skip, me and Skip went to went to pick up some snacks or whatever, and it was on our way to a grocery store anyway. And and he said, "Hey, I, I talked to I talked to Kev, and would you be interested in teaching the 
visionary leadership intensive. And in my inside, I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. 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 I'll do it. And, <laughs> and I was, I was pumped to do it and I was excited to do it. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And, and, and I did. And I started sharing the visionary leadership intensive, which was the prerequisite for the advanced leadership, leadership work. And, and I just did as much as I could, as much as I could. And, 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 and it wasn't about making money or trying to get ahead financially. It was about sharing this work that I know was going to impact communities in, in the long run in terms of preparing, preparing and supporting future leaders so that they can do whatever is necessary, whatever their heart's calling is. You know, the removal of limiting beliefs and emotional blocks that are preventing the greatness from from being fully expressed at at a hundred percent or a higher percentage than, than where it's at, and and I did, yeah, I think we did the most, the most visionary leadership intensive workshops in in North America and overall. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah how did it, was, it, it was real fun. How did it lead you to developing? Right, you have Rise, you have Reviving Indigenous Kinship, but Rise, which I have been patiently waiting for. <laughs> Because I would love to take it. Like, how did you take everything that you learned from the journey and from teaching the visionary leadership and create your own amazing body of work? Well, it's it's in, it's an interesting story in how it came about in the development of Rise, because Rise is phase one to a three phased overall experience, and. And it's called the Agamemnon Liberation Experience is what we call it. And there's three phases to it. And it's just become known as RISE because when we experienced, when it first started as Agamemnon, that's all it was, Agamemnon Workshop. And Agamemnon is a Cree word. It means don't give up, keep going is what Agamemnon means for everybody not to give up and to keep going. So Agamemnon means everybody don't give up, keep going. And Agamemnon, is the short version, which is one person, don't give up, keep going. And Agamemnon is the is like the 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 collective act, like the essence, the collective action and essence of don't give up, keep going, like a collective resilience, the essence of collective resilience. And and my relationship to that word started when I was experiencing work and leadership as an elected official for my community. And so RISE I, was developed during that experience of being an elected official for my community. And, and it's really funky because I didn't want to be an elected official to my community. And there's a whole political backstory to that that we don't necessarily have to get into. And I'll highlight the key points here in terms of, in, in terms of as Indigenous peoples and the experience of colonization we are also experiencing those results in, in how we govern. And so here's like a really quick tidbit because all this leads to the reason why Agamemnon liberation experience exists today. So the, there's an act that exists in Canada called the Indian Act. And the Indian Act is, is a legislation that governs and continues the oppression of, of indigenous peoples. And the situation is that the only way Canada will exist, the only reason why Canada exists is because indigenous nations 
made treaty with the colonizer. We made treaty with, with, with the queen and the crown. And, and so only nations can make treaties. And so as a result, what ends up happening is that the colonization oppression continued to be attempted on those that they made treaty with. And that showed up in a form of the Indian Act. In the Indian Act, what it did is it robbed the autonomy or attempted to rob the autonomy and the sovereignty of, of the continuing nations by oppression, essentially. And so the reality is there's, there's the presence of ongoing attempts of colonization and it showed up in a form of the Indian Act. And the Indian Act is, and I like to say that the Indian Act is a system and a legislation that harvests corruption. And there is corruption that exists in, in indigenous communities at the governance level. And the overall aim has been to domesticate indigenous nations under Canadian rule. And there's legislations and processes that are, that's facilitating that. And so when I got elected as, as, as a head person, as a head man, as a counselor to my community, I experienced the full force of what that is and they experienced systems for what they are and i didn't have the means to articulate i'm experiencing a system i'm experiencing the result of a system and it's a system of violence it's a system of of dehumanization and how, why the fuck is everybody going along with it and i didn't want to go along with it like we have to disrupt this shit we have to do something so that we can affirm who we are as continuing nations and enforce the rights of our continuing existence because Canada wouldn't exist if it wasn't for treaty. Why are we domesticating and minimizing the essence of, 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 of treaty? And so I experienced systems for what they are. And I was really stressful because one of the things that colonial systems do is they'll facilitate the dehumanization by, by systemic pressure of ignoring values, morals, and principles by minimizing you know, an individual's values, morals, and principles. And I experienced that firsthand. And in my mind, I was all, I was like, you know, I, I did the journey practitioner program. I took the visionary leadership advanced work. You know, I'm a, I'm a trained life skills coach. I work with communities. I got this. I can do this. I can navigate <laughs> this. And then it was almost like if I was to admit it, it, it felt like that I'm the exception to the system mm. and I can do it. And the reality is though, I was experiencing so much stress that it was leaking out into my family. And it got to the point where when I came home, now it's, it's funny because I was living in my mom's basement at the time because I moved home because I, I was used to live down south and I had my own place and lived independently and I ended up having to move home. And I didn't have a house because there's a big housing, housing shortage on, on reserves. So I had to live in my mom's basement. And I remember, you know, whenever I'd speak up and be truthful and address like the, the immorality of decisions that were being made, whether people agree with them or not, whether people agree with my stance or not, that was sometimes that was an example that was, that was used against me. Like, what kind of counselor are, are you? You live in your mom's basement. You know, I'm like, don't hold that against, against me, man. Like there's a housing shortage and I'm trying to do things so that there doesn't, there doesn't have to be a housing shortage, you know? Right. And anyway, experiencing that kind of stress and it was leaking out in, into, 
into my family. You know, it's, you know, politics is messy. Like you see it everywhere, wherever politics is like, it's messy and, and, and a lot of projection there, a lot of emotional projection that takes place and, and I experienced the brunt of the brunt of it. And it got to the point where my mom simply said, don't come home. Whenever you're stressed out, you're mad, just don't come home. And I was like, well, I have no place to go to. So I remember like, non- I remember feeling so stressed out as a result of these systems and, and the dynamics that were at play in the midst of those systems that I needed a place to go. And I, I didn't, there was no place for me to go. And there was no place for me to talk to anyone, you know, and Skip was available. Sometimes I would call Skip actually, you know, I'll call some of my mentors and, and I would end up being parked someplace you know, out on the land, out in the field. And, and just sometimes I would cry, even I would have to like, I would have to emote and release the emotion I was here and, and process. And, and that became the cycle where I was like processing these emotions in the midst of a system that was evoking the emotion. And then like using that for leverage to dig deeper. Okay, well, maybe it's a trigger. So, okay, let's, let's find out where this trigger is. And, and then continuing to find the trigger and process it, find a trigger and process it. And it's like the system, the systemic, toxic environment was continuing to evoke the growth and holding me to fire to my growth and it was maddening and it got to the point where yeah like i'm, I'm growing it but it doesn't feel like there's any progress here because yeah. i'm continuing to go back to the environment and there's like this environmental component to it and the growth was amazing but it felt abusive to continue to go back to the environment, to an environment that toxic. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember talking to Skip about it. And he said, well, hey, you're going through systems. There's a training on systems where you're going to learn from a guy who used to build instruments for NASA. And he's doing things around systems. And he's working with businesses and corporations. And it's really great. But it's invitation only. But I can ask him if you want to come. <laughs> I was like, all right. Knows you know, everyone. And, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm down. And this was my third year. So our, our council terms are at four years. So I was on my second year, actually, in the middle of my second year when, when this happened. And I got in. I was, the door was open. He's like, yeah, he said you can come, but you, you got to pay for it. I was like, yeah, I'll pay for it. He's like, how much is it? It's going to be like $5,000. Uh, American? It's like, yep, $5,000 American. I was like, cripes, man. Like, so I ended up saving, my more, saving money and, and I went. Yeah, I went and it was like overall close to you know $7,000. And and, I, and it was a worthy investment. And I think that's one of the things that I really you know, congratulate myself for is, is the willingness to invest in, in myself for, in the long run. Not only, because not only am I investing in myself, but I'm also investing in the work in serving and working with people. And in, from that training, you know, I learned from a, a gentleman named David Dibble and he runs this work called New Conscious Systems. And, you know, he promises a return on investment with businesses and corporations or 100% money back guarantee. And it was amazing. It was really, really great. And it made a lot of sense. And it gave me, I learned principles that gave me a systems lens. And all these dots were being connected in terms of what I'm experiencing at home and at, in community and how systems work and function. And there was like this, this huge aha moment, like, fuck, it doesn't matter how much personal work you do. 
because systems are going to have this uh, a, a result and right and there's this there has to be this balance and and there's the imbalance that's taking place in families and, and communities and because people can do their personal work they can do all their personal work but systems are still going to have this influence and then people will they'll only do systems work but systems work can leave behind those if they're not doing the personal development work right and so that's, that's one of the like that's an example of one of the things i learned and and so i went home and i started applying systems-based approach to to my role and with my community and it 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 like lifted the weight off my shoulders and it allowed me to perceive that what's happening it's a circumstance and it's also a narrative and it gave me the clarity of what's worth investing my time and energy in and the process work continued and i finished my term in fact i was one of the only ones there was only two of us who actually finished finished that term it was a really rowdy a rowdy four years one of the most challenging four years of my life because mm -hmm. it's also when my mom's mom passed away so my my cuckoo, my grandma passed away and one of my adopted mothers also passed away and my my dad yeah, he got sick again and, and he ended up passing away and one of the most challenging stressful most challenging years so far in, in in my life and staying devoted to the truth though staying devoted to to the reality and the truth of what life is allow me to to move through it and to continue to be present because is the last year the fourth year was also the year when things took a turn because that's when my daughter, River Jackson, made an announcement that she was on her way. Yeah. And the preparation for that you know, was, was amazing and, and an experience in itself. Yeah. And so during those four years, Rise became a seed. And it started off as Agame Milk Workshop. And I remember talking to David Dill, Dibble. And because I still keep in touch with him, I'll message him and stuff. And I told, because he wanted... His vision too was to have a team where he would, people would work with them and he'd work with these, you know, these big time corporations in the States and stuff, businesses and, and a really great opportunity. But I wasn't down for that. Like I, I want, and rather than a return on investment, I wanted to work in the realm of return in, in community engagement and, you know, indigenous community engagement. Like how do we get our young people engaged to the reality and circumstance that we're in? And, and then Agame Mok was born and I remember telling him that, that I, this is what I want to do and he was you know and he was fully supportive and said here take it take the systems work and apply it and use it and teach it however you need to it's yours and I was like oh awesome man that's like I was so grateful to him for for doing that and, and allowing the allowing the leverage to be able to do that and and that's what we did in Akame Muk was we explored the systems and mind you, at that time, I was still doing the visionary leadership intensive workshop. And so what I did was I did the VLI, so the visionary leadership intensive workshop. And then I would do a day of Agamemok. So, um, and the principles were really, they're really simple and it could be covered within a day, you know? And so with, with David Dibble's training, it was like a fully immersive and, and it was like a retreat. So I did, gave the non-retreat version, right? And, and... And we combined the two, 
visionary leadership and systems-based approach yeah. approaches to, to to working and i remember mentioning it to, to kevin i was like hey this is what i'm working on and he was like that sounds great cool just keep me in the loop and i said but i said when are they doing the visionary leadership advanced ones he's like i don't know like it's it's not it's a north america thing and it was presenters in north america and but it wasn't really happening in the prairies. Like it was happening in other areas, but on the prairies. And so, and the majority of the people who are taking the visionary leadership intensive, a lot of them were younger and there were students and they couldn't afford to be able to travel to, to um, where the visionary leadership advanced programs were, yeah. were at. And so I decided to combine the VLI and Agamemok and it became the Agamemokan liberation experience. And while I was on council, experiencing that stress, there were days and sometimes it was every day of the week when I wanted to quit. I wake up in the morning and I'd be like, this is my last day. And I feel good about it. And I feel so happy and light. I'm like, oh, hello, everyone. Good morning. You know, and say good morning, everybody. I'm done after this. And then, you know, I'd, I would always meet or run into something that would remind me to stay and to keep going. And the times when it was really, really serious, like, fuck it, I'm done. And I wouldn't even go. I would like, sometimes I wouldn't even show up at work. I was like, I'm just going to go get, order some poutine, pick up some poutine, <laughs> chomp on some poutine. You know, and my dad was sitting there and I'd be sitting at 11 in the morning, not even at work. And he'd be like, shouldn't you be at work, son? I was like, fuck it. I'm not going there. Like, it's toxic. <laughs> it's toxic. And he's like, well, maybe you should go check in anyway. So I, I would go check in and in those really serious days, I would run into a, a community member and she would ask, how is it going in there? How are you doing? And it was a really sincere question. And I would tell her, I would inform her of everything that was going down. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm thinking of quitting today. And she, every time she would say, well, don't give up. Don't give up. And that became my mantra. And I guarantee every time it was serious that I was going to quit, she would turn up and she would say, Agamemo. And she was the only one who, who would ask and listen and not ask for anything in return. She wouldn't ask for anything in return. And, and a lot of times when people would ask, like, how's it going in there? And I would, I would let them know. They would, they would say, well, do you have 20 bucks? You know, they would ask for something. And, you know, as a council member, like they would expect me to solve their problems and, and stuff. And, and that's a dynamic in itself. And, but she never asked for anything in return. She was sincere in, in her support. And, and that's why I called it the Agamemo and Liberation Experience. Because it's like, yes, don't give up. Keep going. And we also need to be aware of what are we not giving up in? What are we going to keep going in? Because there are hamster wheels in these systems where individuals will mistake motion for progress. They're like, there's a lot happening, but there's no progress. And people will invest years in these hamster wheels, in these systems. And it's like, and, and I felt like that was me. Like, there I am, Agamemo, like just riding this hamster wheel and there's nothing happening. It's the same thing. And there's like four years of my life went by. And it's like, I don't want the next generation to do that. Like, like I went through it, but I'm not, but I'm not like, a, I'm not a fake it to make it person like i'm like i'm real about it and and it, and there was failure and sis, there are systems that are designed to fail 
and it evokes the triggers of, of, of personality, it evokes the triggers of ego. And I experienced that where I was like, fuck, I'm failing. And I don't want people to know that I'm failing. And there was like moments there was all like, I should just pretend that I'm not failing and that I have these epic plans. And, but it was, but I, I had to hold myself accountable and holding myself accountable to that. No, I got to be real. And then, and then the systems where it gave the language and the lens to say, well, the system's actually determining the results, not me. So how do we navigate and apply a systems-based approach? And I've, I've found that doing the personal work combined with the systems work is like, it's like fire. It's like yeah. the, the beautiful combination that gives so much leverage for, for a person to, to navigate and to innovate, to evolve and to completely disrupt you no know, hamster wheels. Yeah. And so that's why it's called the Agamemnon liberation experience. Like, yeah, don't give up. And let's apply a liberation-based approach that's going to be multi-generational, that's going to create results because it's the systems-based approach that's going to determine some results. And, and that's how, you know, RISE, and it became known as, as RISE, Agamemnon, because there was only one phase. It was just like RISE. Let's just call it RISE. Agamemnon <laughs> liberation experience. And it's like, but we got to call it something. Like, you know, like, we can't call it ALE. It'll be like AL. Like, we can't call it AL, you know? And, and then I was like, let's just call it RISE, whatever. So we just called it RISE. And it, it became known as RISE. Everyone started knowing it as RISE. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, we should do a phase two. And then phase two unfolded. And phase two came about. And that's where we started to, to do the advanced leadership uh, processes. And the first one we did, I went rogue. Like, I didn't even tell Kevin. I was like, I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, this is where our people are at. And... Like, I'm, we're just going to do it. And I did it. And the results were freaking awesome. It was like phenomenal. I was like, fucking right. And I, I messaged Kevin. I was like, hey, Kevin, I got to admit something. This is what I did. <laughs> and, and he was excited about it. He, he's been all supportive, you know, Kevin. And, and I also let, also uh, talked to Skip about it. And he was also just as supportive because Skip also um, co-developed the advanced leadership, visionary leadership work and uh, keep him in the loop. And they were all supportive. I was like, yes, just use it and keep us in the loop let us know how it's going and and from a place of like being supportive and, and mentoring the the process with the work yeah 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 i can't wait to take it i'm so excited <laughs> um and i could ask you a million more questions but just to kind of close this out for everyone listening share where they can find you how they can learn from you and how they can work with you we're going to link to everything but let them know well, I usually just give the website, which is freedomrising.com. And there's some social media links on there. And you know, there's programs that we offer for communities on there. And just recently in COVID times, we've transferred to doing some online offerings. Like you've experienced one of the op online offerings that we're doing. And But usually, like I prefer boots on the ground. Like I prefer going to the community and working with the family, working face-to-face. -face. And, and, you know, we've had the, the privilege and the honor to work with communities all across North America, going down into California, to New York, and, you know, New Mexico, and the East Coast, and Haida Gwaii, and BC, and just working with our Indigenous communities to, to affirm, continue to affirm, you know, who, who we are, and if any listeners are, any of the listeners are interested in, in, in the work that we're doing, freedomrising.com is, is the, the hub. 
Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing so much of your journey and all the wisdom that you gained on the way. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for being open to, to hearing our angle and what we're doing. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.